0: Solomon's so he's so hung up on this idea of, of the righteous not getting rewarded and the wicked being rewarded and he man he's been on this thing for a couple chapters now going on and on about him he's, he's really overwhelmed with it and because he's overwhelmed with it I picture this last song we just did he's overwhelmed with something worldly he's got some we're gonna call in a minute some spiritual motion sickness he's got spiritual mo- motion sickness spiritual motion, motion sickness it's just like our motion sickness. It's when like you're you're doing something but your brain thinks you're doing something else, so it makes you feel bad real fast. That's where he's at spiritually. He's he's so focused on this one thing that he's he's getting confused by it. He's getting mixed up by it. He's, he's really getting getting nauseous by it. And he's so nauseous by it, he finally gets to a, to a little glimpse in this chapter, a little glimpse last chapter. That's why we've called the second half of of this, this journal writing, a noble pursuit, because now he's getting a little more noble in his pursuit. He does acknowledge the fact of God, and, and I picture him like this last song, like he's been overwhelmed by the worldly pursuit, and now he's running. And in the midst of running, he's going to trip up a couple of times, you're going to see it in some verses, and, and it's going to start happening more often in the last couple of chapters. He, he's going to trip up a little more often on, on in this running, he, he's going he's to be running to God some godly ideas. He's going to actually acknowledge eternity. You know, there's more than just earth, this side of the sun. It's more than just a a vapor, a smoke that I can't grab, like he's been been talking about for so long. And in the midst of that, I picture him like I was just worshiping. God, it feels good. It feels good to know that I can be confused. I can be spiritually nauseous. I I can be the one that's bad. I can be the one that's all jumbled up. I can be spiritually motion sick, and I can still run to God. And he'll be right there ready to catch me. Open arms, ready to hug me, ready to love me, ready to embrace me, ready to strengthen me, ready to give me some answers. I proceed with that because here's the thing any of y'all take medicine? Whether it's for a headache or daily medicine, notice how everybody over 50's hands went up and all you young people, your day's coming, they say, all right? How many of y'all take? Who thinks they take the biggest pill up in here? One, two, got, got it down to four. Five. All right. How big's your pill? You swallowed it. That's tiny, girl. Put that thing down. You done lost. He back there holding up a hand like this. No, not that big. You got a pill that big? Good Lord. Who, who got? Anybody got one bigger than that there? Is it fun to swallow no, it's Everybody they don't even want to compete with you no more, dog. You don't want it, right? Isn't that a hard thing to swallow when it's bigger? Right? Stay with me. Stay with me. Y'all love me, right? Sometimes. Today going to be a hard pill to swallow. (laughs) You see, just in the title, you know it. Civil, Civil submission. Ain't nobody want that junk. Right? I bet Solomon's thinking as he's pursuing this thing and chasing this thing, he's probably thinking this is the last topic I wanted to get on right <laughs> here's the question though here's the question mr grover every morning or every night have whenever you take it you still swallow that pill why we got a pill for everything well if he wants everything to keep on working <laughs> you got to swallow the pill right if we want to truly be running into the arms of the father and we want to live out life His way. If we want spiritual wisdom and get rid of this spiritual motion sickness, we got to swallow some of the hard pills too. I say that because I have to swallow it this week. So now I get to give it to you guys so that you can swallow it, right? If you've been with us or if you haven't been with us, I just want to let you know. Like last week, chapter seven, the start of this thing was like a like a philosophical approach to understanding the perceived injustice. You know, you heard it as Ducre just now. We're not going to go into those verses as in depth as we normally would for verse by verse because we've talked about them for a couple weeks now, right? Like, he don't understand why do the wicked get rewarded and why do the righteous have to suffer? Why do good people die early? Why do stupid people live longer? I mean, right, that, that's where he's, he's been going on this thing. So, so he's talking about the philosophical. He's trying to get the, the intellectual, the understanding of it. Then he gets to chapter 8. He ended last week. If you wasn't with us, would you know? I've been trying to understand this, and I don't get it. Wisest man on earth, don't get it right. So chapter eight, he says, "Here's a practical approach of how I'm going to live in such a world. If this is the way it's going to be, and I don't get to understand it, I don't get to, to 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 fully comprehend it. Here's a practical approach of how I'm gonna how I'm gonna do it. So he starts this thing. Jump into verse one with me. Verse 1, the preacher, the teacher, as he's called himself since the very beginning, he says something really unexpected. And I point it out because the second half of verse 1, he says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. The Hebrew breakdown of that, that end of that verse, I guess you call it verse 1b or whatever, it says, a strong face be changed. If you got a, I think King James or New King James may have the word beamed there. That word beamed in the Hebrew is changed. So I picture Solomon, he's been strong in his understanding, he's been wise in his worldly wisdom, like some of us sometimes, and now that strong face, that, that security he thought he had in understanding stuff, that, that, that confidence in himself, in his brain, and the world, and money, and women, and fame, and food, and, and all the stuff he's tried, now that face is being changed. It's being changed. And I like how a lot of translations put it because we we could believe and we could justify, so at least through the New Testament, that he's not so much talking any longer of of, of what you do with wisdom. Now he's talking about the effect that wisdom has on you. He's like, well, if if you have a little bit of wisdom, the effect it's going to have? And what it's going to have, those that have wisdom, and you can apply this daily, and maybe you need to look in the mirror and take a test for yourself, it says that they have a gentle and a patient demeanor. Their face has been changed. It's no longer strong. It's no longer secure in themselves. It's no longer secure in the things of this world. Their face now, now shines. We hear it more often nowadays when somebody's pregnant. In the beginning, we tell them what? Oh, you're glowing, right? And we mean that to be so nice. You know we. We don't even, we don't even entertain the idea of what's happening biologically is that there's extra hormones in the woman's body and that's making her face and her skin and, and all that stuff just beam and glow and radiate and it's beautiful. That's the first trimester. Second trimester, you're back to normal. Nobody's telling you anything. Nobody's acknowledging everything. Some people may even be entertaining and wondering like, do I acknowledge that they're pregnant or, or not? Like, you know, you're so worried. You don't want to say the wrong thing. Then you get to that third trimester, and we're back to looking at that face. Except for saying, baby, you is glowing. We say, God, you look so tired. You look miserable. Is everything okay? Are you going to make it? How much longer you got? It changes. I think for the believer, we ought to be like some first trimester pregnant women, right? We ought to be glowing. We ought to be beaming. Our face ought to have been changed and ought to be for the better. And yeah, the longer you walk, pregnancy is such a good example. The longer you walk in the Christian walk, there's going to be some moments of of just a mundane, nobody says nothing. There's going to be some some moments of, holy cow, when can I get out of this thing? But the goal is that glow, that that radiant glory that it, that it brings forth. So, so test yourself. When people look at you, what do they see? Do they see a, a, a wise person that's face is shining? And we're going to talk about wisdom, and it ain't because he's got all the answers either. That's the beauty of this whole thing. He's not, he's not shining because he's got all the answers. What, what he's talking about is he's saying, man, there's some situations I've been studying. I've been, this, this isn't somebody who's just speaking off the cuff. This is somebody who's taken time to investigate this stuff. And he's saying, I've checked out some situations, and I've realized I'm not in control. I, I feel like I'm, I'm in the car, and, and my wife is driving, and I was trying to read a book. I, y'all know I ain't reading, so it ain't about me, right? And I was trying to read a book, and now the motion sickness ha- has got me. A- a- and I'm feeling, I'm feeling all kind of all over the place. And it's those moments where your face gets hard, your face gets dark. But, but wisdom, he says, wisdom is something that enlightens you. It softens you. It brings a, it brings a glow to you. It, it lifts the pressure off of you that's been suffocating you when you don't know. Here's, here's the beauty of it. Wisdom helps you know what to do when you don't know what to do. Did you get that? That's such a weird statement. Wisdom helps you know what to do when you don't know what to do. Wisdom says, I'm going to trust in the Lord when I don't understand anything else. Wisdom says, when I don't get it, I'm just going to rest in his presence. Because, as we've been singing about this morning, my goodness, what a setup. Because he's good. He's a good daddy. He's a good father. He's a good creator. He's got great plans. Wisdom will help me turn my stern face into a smiling face. And it helped me show those that are so frustrated with all the stuff going on around them that it's, it's all right. It's going to be okay. And here's what he gets to in this part of the chapter right here. The, the blatant honesty he's got, right? Especially speaking as a king, by the way. He, he's showing those that those are frustrated with the corruption of life. Particularly as he gets to chapter 8 right here, he's talking about the governing authorities. Anybody thrilled with the way our government works? Oh, please, put your hands down. Don't raise them so fast. Right? But they're your government. Anybody just love the president we got and think he does a great job. But he's your president. Liars will go to I mean, um We move from the from the frustration in this thing, and, and here's what he's really getting at. Understand this, because this, these two chapters do tie together. Chapter eight, what the preacher is identifying is, is the problem is why why righteous men suffer and why wicked men are rewarded, and the problem is corrupt leadership, which makes sense, right? He's saying people that deserve to be punished aren't being punished fast enough, you know, and and and, and, and you know the the way I think it should be is not going, and people who should be rewarded aren't being rewarded. The problem is corrupt leaders. So in verse 11, he says this, because the sentence against the evil deed is not executed quickly. Therefore, the hearts and the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Oh, if so-and-so got away with it, I think I can get away with it. Oh, if that's all the punishment is, then I'm willing to check that out, right? There's a failure among the government to do a good job enforcing righteousness and punishing evil, and the result, Solomon says, is this corruption that he's got a problem with. Now, so he's admitting, he's straight up admitting like the leadership, the king, the governing authorities, they aren't great. His hand wouldn't have been up either. But, but then he's going to say something in a minute but before he says something, I want to make sure you guys understand I want to I get into this thing right here. Political parties are government structures and systems made up of what? This isn't a trick question. This one's easy. They're made up of who? People! People! Scripture says people are sinners. It says people have an evil heart. So then why are you so surprised that your government is bad? That your leadership sometimes is corrupt? That there's problems at every level? Better yet, here's another question. If you know it's made up of people, you know people are sinners, then how in the world and why in the world do you expect to find your ultimate comfort of hope in that? Right? How often is it that we think, oh, man, election season's next year. Thank God. We're going to get it all right. I'm 39. I've been here, and we're going to get it right every year of my life. It's like you guys as a a society voting for government are like Dallas Cowboy fans. I am one, so it's okay. But every year we say, we going to get it right. And we get so confident at the beginning of the preseason. Oh, we look good. You see who we drafted? You see who we got? Oh, they did it right this year. We got it. We go into the Super Bowl. First round of the playoffs, we go back home. Because we really like watching the Super Bowl from our own houses. Right? Notice the we in there. I ain't never been on the field, right? But, but we place this conference. So, so why shouldn't or why should we expect this system to be what saves us? Guys, please understand this. As we talk about civil submission and government, our faith is not in a system that's going to save us. Our faith isn't supposed to be in a government that's going to coddle us, a political figure that's going to act as a Messiah. Our faith is Jesus Christ. And anything else we put our faith in, we're doomed to set ourselves up for failure. In a world where we look to the government to solve problems, man, the first lesson we better realize then is the government ain't going to solve nothing. I don't even think the government is capable of dealing with the real crucial issues. We want them to do something they can't even do. We want them to do something they're not even supposed to do. When I study Scripture and I get to the New Testament, and Paul writes to the Philippians, and he says, guys, our, our permanent citizenship, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship's in heaven. We just reside here on earth. And while we reside here on earth, there's some, there's some ways we're supposed to act. While we're governed by the, the fallen system, we're supposed to still maintain our faith in God and live out, as, as Solomon writes today, under the sun, this side, this issue. So here's number one we get from Ecclesiastes. I'm established the fact that government's corrupt, government messes up. That's why we got some of the stuff that don't make sense in our world. But here's what Solomon says about that. If you're, if you're truly going to try to chase wisdom, our first response reveals what we, really re, what we really believe God's sovereignty. You know what I mean by that? I think too many believers, too many in the church today, they feel like because the world's going to hell in a handbasket, that God's on a vacation. Right? Oh, well, I don't know where God is. I don't, I don't know what he's doing. I, I, I picture Elijah when he's yelling at the the false gods and he's, he's trying to mimic and and those guys at the, at the mountain before they, they, they challenge one another. I I picture like some of the people in the church today are thinking the things that he was taunting the other gods with about, Hey, did your God go to the bathroom? Hey, is your God taking a break? Hey, you know, maybe you should yell louder. Maybe your maybe your God got his ears clogged up last night. Like what, you know, I, I feel like that's how we think sometimes, right? Do you not trust in the sovereignty of God? On every level. Do you not believe that God can take the evil leadership that sometimes gets elected and still accomplish his purposes? You either trust in the sovereignty of God or you don't. Hear me, if you're a believer, you don't get to play it both ways. You're either trusting in the sovereignty of God. I trust God. He knows everything. He's powerful. He's in control. He can take fallen circumstances and make beautiful things. Or you don't. Because that's the only way it is with my God. My God ain't taking no vacations. He ain't taking a nap. He, he's, he's not missing something. He's not, not big enough to handle something. He's got it all. Even from the very beginning. You remember the very first time his people wanted to select leadership? He said, oh, that, that ain't the way you want to do it. They said, no, we, we want to be like all the other nations. So in God's sovereignty, what does he do? Okay. You can have it just like all the other nations. And what did he teach his people? There's the wrong way to do it. All right? So then the next leadership, what happens? He brings forth a good leader, the right leader, the way he wanted it to be. And you would think that would have taught them something. But then they play this game back and forth for I don't know how many hundreds of years of trying to figure it out. But do, does not God use every single one to accomplish what it is that he wants to accomplish? I mean, he used some of the most evil kings in time to eliminate idolatry. For a period of time. He, he he used the corrupt people at the time of the Messiah coming in. To put him on a cross. Think about it. God uses even what you and I deem as crazy. Unnecessary. Evil and bad. To accomplish what it is he wants to accomplish. And we have to trust in his sovereignty for that. So the, the first response to, to authority. Reveals what we truly believe about God. If we don't think God can handle it. We try to handle it ourselves. But if you truly believe God can handle it then you trust in him. Ecclesiastes and all over scripture. It connects the earthly rule of Kings with a relationship with God. He says, he uses this, this, system set up and he applies this principle all throughout scripture. And the authority is this all earthly authorities ordained by God. Romans chapter 13 verse, verse one, Paul writes at the height of being persecuted by the way, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Where there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. Like they, they do stuff I don't like. I'm not really on board with, with how they're, how they're spending my tax money. I'm not really, I'm not really on board with, with it. You think Paul was on board with getting persecuted? You think the early disciples who also made the same statement, you think they were on board with, with being chased after? No, I don't think they were on board with any of it. But they submitted to it. Right? Since God's the one who established us, here's what, here's what it's trying to teach us. Rebellion against authority is rebellion against God. Hard pill to swallow. Verse 2, Romans chapter 13. He who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. These are verses we just want to take out. All right. These are ones I don't want to use. The way we respond to earthly authority reveals a lot about what we really believe about God's authority and his sovereignty. Right. If we got a hard time obeying things that we can see, structures that God has set up, how in the world do you really think we're going to obey and follow something we can't see? Right. Ultimately, this goes all the way back to the root cause of our sin, guys. We don't want to obey those in authority because we want to be in charge. We love being in control. We love being in charge, right? We want to be the gods of our own lives. We want to honor and obey ourselves. We're basically indicating that we don't trust God to work through the authority that he ordained. God, I know better than you. God, I can handle it better than you. Solomon says a wise man recognizes that God has ordained the authority. Whether we understand it, whether we realize it, whether we see it or not, he's working out his plan through it. So therefore, our primary primary obligation is to obey. Verse two, to keep the king's commandment. He goes on to provide the readers with with practical reasons. We're not going to go into verse by verse, but but the idea there is, is so practical. He's just he's just being realistic and honest on, on three on. Three three through five or three through six, whatever it ends up being, right? He's generally speaking, and he says this, that if you obey the king, you don't get in trouble with the king. Rocket science, right? He's so smart. If you do what the government tells you to do, you can't get in trouble with the government. Right? You're not getting it. Let me give you you three real-life ones, right? If you ain't speeding, you don't have to worry about it when the cop gets behind you. Right? If you ain't cheating on your taxes, you don't have to worry when you get a letter in the mail that says you're being audited. Some of y'all thinking right now, oh, well, those are two moments I feel real uncomfortable. You feel uncomfortable when the cop gets behind you because you probably done something wrong. You feel uncomfortable when you get a letter from the IRS. It's because you probably done something wrong. Right? How about even more practical? How about the fact of, of we worry when, like, the boss man's in the room? We start working harder that way. If you're working faithfully all the time the way you're supposed to, then you don't have to worry when the boss man comes around. You don't have to put on a show, right? These just practical things. Like Paul's just saying, I mean, Paul, I'm sorry. Paul's going to write in Romans here in a minute. But, but Solomon at this part is, is saying, like, if you just do what you're supposed to do, you ain't going to get in no trouble. But yet we want to argue with this all the time, don't we? As soon as this whole topic and idea come up, everybody was saying about all the reasons, all the ways, all the all the why's, I don't have to obey the government. Why? Because you want to make the verse say something they don't say. Because you want to talk about something that makes you feel good, and we can get a little rally going on up in here about being anti-government, rather than just understanding the scripture for what it says at this part of scripture. There's parts of scripture that has some other stuff. I'm with you on that. But that ain't today. That's the benefit of being verse by verse. We're going to take whatever today says, Right? Paul goes on, Romans chapter 13, he says, For rulers hold no terror over those who do right. Their terrors over those that do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one who has authority? Then do what's right and he'll commend you. For he is God's sovereign to do, servant to do good, sorry. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not hear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer, not the right doer. Wow. I just told you, I, I know, guys. I know, like, we talk about the, the, the obvious question, right? I'll go ahead and ask it, because I know everybody's got it, right? Am I really obligated to obey everything the government commands? As Soon as we start talking about civil submission, soon as those verses were read, that's where every one of y'all's minds went. Y'all started your own little list in your notes of all the times you don't have to obey the government because dot, dot, dot. We always want to rebel, do we not? We always want to go against it. Do I really have to be everything he says? What if I disagree with the government? Now, this chapter only had 18 verses. So I read this thing so many times this week. I read it so many times this week because because it was a hard pill to swallow on time number one. It kicked me square in the gut. Time number 17. Because by time number 17, I'm just going to be up front. Time number 17. I'm looking to be able to preach what you guys is wanting right now. I'm like, all right, Lord, you go ahead and give me the times we can disobey the government. God, you go ahead and give me the power. We're like, I can rally the troops, and we can be anti-government. We're for the Lord's kingdom. I didn't get it, by the way, if you thought that's where we were going. (laughs) Because I read this over and over and over again, and I can't find anything that limits my responsibility to obey to only the things I agree with obeying. That being the I part, right? So I said, well, Lord, you don't reveal Romans 13 to me a lot. Let me find it in Romans 13, and I'll just do a little tag series. Don't tell God you're going to tag series one of his sermons. Because in 13, it don't say nothing about ever getting to disobey because of what I disagree with either. Huh. Well, this ain't fun. So I tried to find another one. You know how much trouble you can get into or how many hard pills you can swallow when you try to make God's word say what you want it to say? So he brought me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Again, just trying to just trying to give you guys what you want, right? Chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. It ain't on the screen, but you should write it down in your notes. It says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Whether I'm talking about a king as a supreme authority or the governors, those that are sent to punish those who do wrong, those who commend those that do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. He's saying, if you, if you want to shut some people up and you want to blow some people's mind, you shut up and be silent. Yeah, ouch. Because here's the next part. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom to cover up evil. Any wrongdoing, by the way, is what that translates into. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to some people. No, it says show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. Well, I didn't like those verses either, right? But I got my answer because I've been praying, like, what's the exception? No exceptions there either. Seems quite clear. I have a responsibility to obey the governing authorities regardless of whether I agree with them or not because here's what God told me it ain't about you, it's about Him. It ain't about what I think, it ain't about what I want, it's about Him. And as a follower of Christ, I'm to obey the authorities, even when I disagree with them. Let me tell you all one that really crushed my little hopes years ago. I'm just going to be honest, right? This has been a long time ago, okay? In case any of y'all got any friends in the IRS. When you make cash money under the table, baby, what? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. You can pocket, you can pay for, you can have vehicles pay for, you can buy engagement rings, you can buy the coolest toys you've ever seen. And then there'll come this moment where you got to buy a house. And unless you pocketed a lot of under the table money, ain't nobody paying cash for a house. So then you get to go to the bank and you need this thing called a credit score. And you can tell the bank all day long, oh, you don't understand, I'm making lots of money. Let me show you all the stuff I'd have bought. Let me show you this F-150. Let me show you this Toyota. Let me show you this toy. Let, let, matter of fact, take my wife's hand and look at that engagement ring I bought her. I paid cash for that right there. I ain't financed nothing. And the bank gonna look at you and be like, that's great. Until you get a credit score, you ain't buying nothing. So then you go home, this is real life. You go home and you mad at God. God, I didn't know. I followed your word where it says, don't be in debt. I ain't in no debt, Lord. I don't understand why the credit score thing ain't working out. And then he brings you to this little story you might remember with Jesus. That Jesus, boy, I tell you right now, mm, he will get you. He's chatting with his disciples one day, his followers, his closest friends. And his friends is like, hey, what if we don't want to give Caesar no money? And Jesus got the audacity to look back at them and say, you pay him." But, Jesus, we ain't got no money. Well, then let's go fishing and we'll pull money out of fish. And it ain't going to be to put in your pocket. It's going to be to pay the taxes. And I, I, it ain't in the verse, but I, I'm a venture to say, at least Peter, me and Clifford get this. Right? At least Peter, if nobody else in the group, is going to say, Jesus, you know what that government does with that tax money? They do stuff that ain't for you, Lord. And I venture to say, it ain't in the verse. I venture to say, Jesus, looked back at him and say, dummy, I know everything. So, of course, I know what they do with the money. Still pay the taxes. I point that out because a lot of y'all might be like me and y'all might be thinking, oh, no. Now they got abortion money. Now they using our taxes for this. They using our taxes for that. Jesus, I ain't paying no taxes no more. Jesus, I think I'm pretty much ordained to cheat on my taxes now because they ain't doing what I think they ought to do with the money. And I picture Jesus saying, you don't think I know. You don't think I know where every dime of that money goes and how they spend every penny of it. And then I get that Job moment. Oh, that Job moments where the Lord looks at you and says, you think, you know, better than I know. Where's your planet? Where's all the people you created? Where's the dirt that you breathe life into? Where's the plants that you made? And then you just sit there for two chapters quiet as a church mouse. But then at the end, you still got a choice. You can do it your way. Or you can do it his way. Even though the government might not be doing something, he looked at his disciples and he said, guys. Pay your taxes. And that's one of a million examples we could preach on. Right. But I think that one got the outs for me. Might get the outs for you. I don't know. I'm convinced that, and let me get a little more real with you guys. Tax season's right here, right? So, so some of you guys are already learning this. Every year they now changing some tax stuff, right? And, and I'm concerned for our country. I'm, I really am concerned for a lot of stuff. That Quite soon, you're going to see the evidence of the government. They already started limiting a lot of tax deduction for charities and all that stuff. And, and I'm thinking like one day, realistically, we're going, we're going to stop being a tax-free organization. It's coming, so don't let it surprise you. You know what's going to happen when that comes? We're gonna write the government a check for the taxes. It it wasn't rockets. It wasn't y'all y'all. Oh y'all thought we was gonna have a rally system. Y'all thought we was gonna pack the field with believers, right? No, we anti-government. We don't pay. We're tax-free. Da da da. That ain't in scripture. Now there'll be hear me right now. There will be churches that do that. There'll be men and women that have court cases. There'll be men and women that probably go to jail over some tax issues because they believe that they're right to do that. How many of y'all got surprised, whether it be last year, this year, maybe even the year before? I don't keep up with it. Where you realize all your little money that you donated and you got an envelope for it, to church, you didn't get your tax credit for it because you didn't donate enough money. Did that hurt somebody's feelings? Oh, did that upset you? I worry how many people this year, if it got you last year, if you just realized it this year, now you in trouble and everybody's like, pastor, stop telling them they don't know. Right. (laughs) They too dumb to figure it out. Don't let them know like that's what's happening. My picture, my my fear is this. You're going to stop donating to the church because you don't get a tax write-off. My fear ain't that for the church, by the way, in case that's where you thought I was going. My fear for that is for you. Because I don't need your money. The church don't need your money. God sure don't need your money. But your heart, your motive for giving, if it was because you got a little tax paper, oh, your little feelings is going to get all tore up, ain't it? Swallow the hard pill. Go ahead. How big is it growing? I think it's about this big now, right? Huh? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Maybe I'm just asking, what was your motive? If it was for the tax credit, you're going to be in for rude awakening. But if it's because God said give, man, we want to keep asking, what about, what about, what about? We'll find another chapter. We'll read it later. And we'll talk about what about. Because today ain't what about. Today, we're sticking with this chapter. What he's talking about from this chapter. Matter of fact, I will go into it. Hold on, because I got something for my personal study. Y'all be all right. You got five minutes early last week, so you get five minutes more this week, right? From what I understand in Scripture, studying as hard as I can because I didn't want to do it, right? You study Scripture for something you don't want to do, God's going to give you good lessons. There ain't but two times I get to disobey the government. Hold up your fingers. That's a tiny number, right? Because y'all had like this big old list. Y'all had, like, pages of notes of times you get to disobey the government, baby. Woo! Right? Ain't but two times. Time number one, when the government requires me to do something prohibited by Scripture. Now, I know y'all might have a lot of sub under all that stuff, but that's all it is. When the government tells me I can't do something to Scripture. Example, Moses' parents. Pharaoh ordered the Hebrews to do what? Throw their children into the river and drown them. Murder. Guess what murder is against? God. So they didn't follow suit. Right? How about Daniel and his friends? Right? Daniel and his three friends, they were ordered to eat food that they weren't supposed to eat. What did they do? They said, we can't do that. They decided not to do that. Now, here's what you got to love. You get a rally call, right? You're like, yes. They standing up for God, baby. God about to do it big. No, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they threw in the furnace. So you can rebel against government. It don't mean God's gonna rescue you from the consequences. Right? I'm just hey, we're gonna preach the word. We're gonna preach the word. Huh? Nebuchadnezzar refused to do all this stuff. And what did he do? They threw him in, right? Now here's what I need you guys to note right here, because I know what all you guys are thinking. You bunch of rednecks with all your guns and all your right? I know where you're going. Because my brain goes there too. Like, yes, when that moment comes, I'm going to flex on the government, baby. I'm going to let them know how much I bench. I'm going to let them know what kind of guns I got. I'm going to get loud. I'm going to get boisterous. I need you guys to go back to both of those stories. And there's some other ones. And y'all just let me know, how did they do it? How'd they do it? How'd Moses' parents do his? How'd he do it? About as quiet as you being right now. You hear me? He did it about as quiet as you doing it right now. They didn't get to, you, you thought they went back to the, they went, y'all, see, y'all would have done it this way. Y'all went back to the village. Let's get a party going. Let's hold up poster boards. Let's charge the, the state house with, with all our little papers and let's get a mob going and let's play loud music and let's just, let's be rambunctious. Let's get a real rebel going on. No, they, they didn't do that. They just, they just saved their child. That was it. Actually, by saving their child, they gave their child away. You're thinking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Because they was they was three dudes. The problem with Moses was a mama was involved, and she was kind of soft, right? That's what you're thinking? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got it going on. No. Nah. No, nah, they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, and, and they just said, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not allowed to eat that. We're, we're not allowed to bow to Daniel, in case y'all thought Daniel was going to be like the, the highlight figure, we'll get on him too. He he he, he just went before Nebuchadnezzar, and, and actually this is the wording he used. You you just do what, what you got to do. I'm doing what I got to do. That's all he says. He stands before what was kind of getting to be one of his friends, and he tells him, look, man, I know you got something to do. You do what you got to do. I do what I got to do. He says, I ain't going to rally the troops. I ain't going to get on my boys. I, we ain't going to get our slingshots and our bow and arrows and come back. You do what you got to do. I'm going to go into the lion's den. So he go into the lion's den and go to sleep. God got it. Right? Shadrach and me should have been to go. Dude is playing with them. He goes, look, man, just just take like a nibble. Like, if you just nibble on a piece of it, I'll let you guys get out. They didn't call the troops. They didn't rally. They didn't make a big show of it. They, they didn't get the TVs involved. They didn't call everybody and, and get a big commotion. No, they just told him, like, well. I think the wording is come what may. Whatever comes our way, we'll we'll accept it. Real calm, real nonchalant. See, y'all think y'all got to be a bunch of little hellions whenever y'all want to rebel against the government. That ain't what Scripture talks about. Scripture's examples of rebelling against the government, it's always calm, relaxed. Okay. Another hard pill for y'all to swallow. Y'all thought y'all was going to get to put on some brave heart paint and go to town, didn't y'all? <laughs> nah. every time they do it, it's like, you know what, hey. I trust in God. I trust in his sovereignty. Come what may. So they jump in the furnace. Jump in the furnace so hot, like the people that was told them to the furnace, we got tore up. And then they come out the furnace, by the way. Because they did it the Lord's way. Number two. I could preach on that for so long, man. Number two. Yeah, we only on number two of that second thing. When the government prohibits me from doing something required by Scripture. So now we're on the opposite, right? So now we got Daniel. I just gave him to you, right? Daniel had tricked King King Darius into signing an order that, you know, that he could pray to other gods, so it made some people mad. What did Daniel do? He kept on praying. Now, he didn't raise flags. He didn't tell, hey, y'all look in my window. Y'all come see what I'm doing. I love Jesus. He didn't try to get loud. He didn't make a boisterous show. He didn't make a, an, a, 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 a movie of it. He just stopped when he would normally stop to pray. And he prayed. See, my fear is one day, it's going to be out loud, and there's going to be somebody from this church that's going to make me mad, because y'all are going to be the one standing on the table at the lunchroom. Father God, thank you for the food. Bless it, Lord. Oh, gosh, I'm getting arrested. All I was trying to do was pray. No, you're trying to make a show of it because you want to stand on a table and get everybody to see you doing it. Shut your mouth, close your eyes and pray if you want to pray. Anybody told you to make a show of it? Did he make a show of it? No, he prayed. People saw he didn't hide it. I ain't saying hide it. And he got in trouble. Peter and John brought before the Sanhedrin and they're told straight up, man, you guys got to stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. A couple chapters just before that, they talk about a dude who's flipping the world upside down because he's still preaching about this Jesus thing, right? And here's what they say. I love this. Acts 4, 19 through 20. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and we've heard. You can make the rule, that's Okay. There's no fighting going on here, guys. There's no arguing. There's no disagreeing. There's just, well, there is a disagreement, but it's not like an argument disagreement. It's just a straight up, hey, you you, you can say that rule. But if you've seen and heard what we've seen and heard, you just wouldn't be able to stop talking about him either. Right? Guys, if we find ourselves in these situations, all I'm trying to say is make sure you don't violate the commands of Scripture to get your own conviction and opinion across. Because that ain't what it's about. All right? And truth be told, very rarely in this country are we ever going to have to worry about any of these moments where it's against the government to do these things. Y'all make up all these stories and and all this stuff, and if I hear one more person tell me about the market of the beast, punch them in the nose. Straight up. Just telling you right now. So if you've got that, if you're one of those conspiracy guys and you've got that theory in your brain and you were getting ready to show me, I'm going to punch you in the nose when you bring it to me. Right? And I've been storing up a punch for a long time, so it could hurt. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, everybody's like, oh, no, that little thing that they're going to do secretly, that's it. No, it ain't about a secret thing. What do you think it's called the mark of the beast for? It's a public thing. It ain't a secret. Y'all get me off on that. I ain't supposed to be there. Right? Sorry. That was free two minutes for you. You can have them and you return them. Huh? Where are we at? Oh, I did want to point out, I think I already said it, but the consequences that can still come when you disobey the government. Shadrach, and me, should have been, still went to a fiery furnace. Peter and John still suffered persecution. Daniel was still thrown in the lion's den. A lot of stuff don't go the way you think it should go. But that's when we get back to the lesson. What's the lesson? Wisdom. Solomon's writing about wisdom, and he's saying wisdom is teaching you to pick your battles. Wisdom Is being wise about who you're going to oppose and what situation you're going to oppose. Wisdom, write it down this way, is saying make sure you take your last stand on the right hill, not every hill, not the small hill, not the little hill. It's best to understand the issue at hand. Look back at verse 3. Verse 3, he said, do not be in a hurry to leave his presence. He's not saying hang out with the king as long as you can. He's saying make sure you actually understand what the king is saying before you run out of there. Because sometimes we'll misunderstand something and we'll go running out thinking we knew something we didn't know. So he's saying, take your time. Be patient. Don't be in a hurry. We're not necessarily talking about a king that's always going to command you to disobey God. We're just talking about a king who doesn't fear God himself. Right? We're not really talking about when you get mad about the government, we don't really have a government that's commanding you to disobey God. We have a government that doesn't fear God. That's the difference. And yes, because they don't fear God, they're sometimes leading a nation not to do so either. But then again, that's where you and I come in and we got a job to do, right? Wisdom is what teaches you to do when you don't know what to do. Wisdom teaches you that when you're not in control of the situation, make sure you hit things on their proper time in the proper way. Look at what he says, verse six. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although you... Or even though man's trouble lies heavy on him. He says your your experience, the stuff you've been checking out, it's going to be heavy on you. It's it's going to darken your face. It's it's going to mess some stuff up. Yet wisdom has this effect to be able to, to get our fixation off of the things we can't control. Be honest with yourselves. A lot of the things you're miserable about in your life, in your walk, are things that you focus on that are out of your control. And you just get so fixated on them that it ruins stuff. Verse 5, he said, For a wise heart knows the proper time and the proper procedure. It knows the proper time to approach something, and it also knows the proper way to approach something. Some of you guys, if you would just approach something at the right time in the right way, you'd actually get what you wanted. I'm talking about marriages. I'm talking about children. I'm talking about work. I'm talking about everything. But instead, we want to we do it our way, right? Here's another lesson. This one's good. You'll like this one. This is a little pill. My life doesn't depend on the government. That's what he's saying. Look at these verses. Verse 6. Solomon describes this clear limitations of government. He says there ain't no government that's got control over life or death. They they don't control that. No no government is incapable of preventing injustice. As much as I didn't like injustice, the government is not capable of handling it. And while there may be a lot of well-meaning Christians that attempt to address all those problems through the political process, Paul says this in Ephesians, and here's maybe where we get off track. In Ephesians, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against principalities of evil. We've We've got a spiritual struggle. So why do you think if we have a spiritual battle, we can use physical weapons? We fight in a spiritual battle, not a political battle. So it makes us think that we can fight it in a political way, right? Second Corinthians chapter 10, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are the weapons of the world. On contrary, they've got divine power to demolish strongholds. That's verses 3 and 4. Stay with me. I'm not saying that we should completely avoid participation in politics. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's not what this chapter is really about. That's not what Solomon's getting on. There's nothing wrong with supporting, voting, building up candidates to support our values and our belief system. But what I want to make sure you understand as a church is what Solomon writes here in his search for wisdom is is we can't expect the government, no matter who's in office, to solve spiritual problems. They're not a spiritual thing. Our primary responsibility as as Christians is to make disciples of Christ. That's our primary thing. I, I, I don't want people to be offended here. I don't want people to hate me or be offended because of my politics. I want people to be offended and hate me because of my love for Jesus. Right? I feel like we get on these high horses sometimes of thinking like, because we 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 got the world to hate us because of our political views, like we we got a check mark, a little star by our name. No, I want the world to be mad at me because of my love for Christ. that will be a check mark by my name, I'll take. Right? There's a big difference. God's not. He's not interested in, matter of fact, let me go ahead and get on that. I was, I was going to leave this little section out, but I ain't, because I need, I need a lot of us to understand this. It makes no difference for an unsaved person. Everybody hear me say unsaved. Okay. It makes no difference for an unsaved person if they for or against abortion. Don't in it because you ain't going to like it. It makes no difference for an unsaved person if they for or against gay marriage. It makes no difference for an unsaved person if they're liberal, conservative, or as head said a minute ago, if they're Democrat or Republican. Right? Because apart from Jesus, every person unsaved is going to live in eternity without God. We got to get them right spiritually before we can get them right worldly. We're trying to do the opposite, though. We want to change people's outside worldly view before we change their hearts. We're doing the same thing Pharisees and Sadducees did that Jesus got mad at. He says, No, I, w- I want to change the heart of a man first. And if I can change the heart of the man first, everything else is a challenge. God ain't interested in changing your politics. He's interested in changing your heart. And there's a big difference between the two, man, right? Look at the other side of this thing. Maybe this ought to make you feel good. There's a little, little even smaller pill. If we can't rely on the government to solve our problems, we can't rely on the government to make us positive either. Right? So then, therefore, Solomon writes this thing, that that means that my ability to live a meaningful life isn't dependent on the government or any politician. No matter what I think about the government, I can still live the exact life God wants me to live. No matter what happens in this world, he's got the wisdom. I don't understand it, but I know, I know despite not understanding it, whatever God's got planned for me, I can do in this world. So lesson, another lesson, I don't even know what number we're on, don't let circumstances keep me from living life. We rest in the knowledge that we cannot see everything that God is doing. Guys, you understand God's at work all the time? He's not on a vacation. He's not asleep. He's not away. He's busy working all the time, even we don't see it. Verse 15, kind kind of something that don't make sense in this section, to be honest with you, which Solomon's great at doing. He commends us to have joy. In spite of everything else he said, in spite of how sucky, how bad, how miserable, how unfair, how injustice, all of it, in spite of everything, the preacher commends joy. Look at verse 15 with me. So I commended enjoyment. Hold on. Hold on, preacher. Hold on, speaker. Hold on, writer. Hold on, Solomon. How are you going to tell me all that stuff just now didn't tell me to still have some joy? And then he says, because. Almost like he knew he was going to ask. Because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat? Oh, man. Are we even a Baptist church? I just talked about food, and y'all didn't amen it. Huh? For there's nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, Pepsi-Colas, and enjoy himself. This is for the Pentecostals. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. Solomon is wisdom, guys, here's what he's getting at. He's thought this stuff out. He's not making a passive, a passive encouragement. He's not just trying to to put something good on the end of his journal here. He's saying, guys, I've checked this stuff out. I've invested into studying this stuff. I've tried it. And the point is this. We need to enjoy the journey that God has us on. Even when we don't understand it. Even when we don't like it. We need to understand God's sovereignty. God has provided these things for us in spite of everything else. In spite of not being able to make sense, in spite of being under the sun and not a citizen of heaven yet, in spite of being a visitor here, the Bible is clear. Make the best of your life here. We've fallen in this trap of thinking like eternal life is, eternal life starts now. Right now. It includes our day-to-day right now. And wisdom helps us to enjoy life with a proper perspective of all the good things that God's done for us. Like food, drink, companionship, fellowship, all this stuff that he's checked out. Now, here's Solomon's lesson. Make sure you get it. He's saying, guys, I've checked it all out. It's good. It's good to eat. It's good to drink. It's good to have friends. It's, it's good to have a, a, a wife. It's good to have a, a spouse. It's, it's good to have kids. It's good to have a, a barn full of Mercedes horses, right? Like I got. That's what he had going on, right? Like, like, it's good. But don't you make those things the ultimate. There's where the difference lies. He's learning. He's learning. He said, "I need to enjoy those things, but those things aren't made to be the the ultimate. If my happiness rests in those things, then I'm missing it." I, I, I prove it even a little deeper with you guys. I, I love this part of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, he goes to warn God's people about their future exile. So you know everybody hates him, right? When, you, when you're going to tell everybody, "Hey, you're getting ready to go into exile. Babylonian's about to get you." Don't nobody want to hear what you got to say after that. But, but he goes anyway, and he starts, he starts talking, and he, he makes this part right here clear. And I think this is what God makes clear for us as well, guys. That while we're living in captivity, we're living. Did you get that? While we're living in captivity, while you're living in misery, while you're living in pain, while you're living in grief, while you're living in whatever, you're living. So then make the most of it. Here's what he writes through Jeremiah, or here's what Jeremiah speaks. This is chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. A lot of verses. This is what the Lord Almighty, Yahweh, Israel says to all those carried from exile into Babylon. Here's what it is: build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. You know, that, that part right there would have drove me nuts if I was one of them. Not not planting. I think that's starts cool, But, you know, if you plant something, you got to wait. I ain't good on the waiting thing. You know, if you plant some, you got to wait on the crop to be produced. I'd have been like, hold on, Jeremiah. How long are we stay in here? Cause I thought we was just going to like a little hit and miss for a little while. You talking about making gardens and building homes, like we're going to be here for a while. So he says this, not only are you going to be here for a while dog, I want you to marry and have sons and daughters. Hold on. What? That's going to take a real long time, right? I want you to find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So that they too, Oh my God, how long are we going to be here. So that they too can have sons and daughters. We're not only waiting on a crop to be produced, we're waiting on kids to get old enough to get married, and then we're waiting on the grandkids. I thought we was going to be here for a short period of time. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace. Here you go while you're there. While you're realizing how long you're going to be there. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to Yahweh for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You can be in captivity, but you're still living. You can be in a lack of understanding. You can be in a place like Solomon where you don't get it and it kind of frustrates you and makes you mad. Keep on living. Guys, when I look at our country right now, I ain't going to lie to you, I'm kind of worried about this row right here. More so if it don't happen that fast, I'm worried about this row next to this row. Meaning, like when they get old enough and they got kids, what's it going to be then? Right? And we've, we've got this tendency sometimes to think, you, y'all ever played like this, this make-believe world? We're like, man, we'll just get everybody together and go buy a bunch of land. We good Southern folks, and so we'll get all our guns. I got a lot of them, right? So I'm with you, right? And we'll just, we'll just move somewhere, stay away from everything, build this, 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 this special area where only we live with our guns, with our people, and we'll just exclude ourselves from the rest of the world. Kind of like give In reality, though, guys, here, here, for real. This is evidence that you don't trust in God's sovereignty. And I've had those thoughts, so I'm with you. When I have that thought, I'm saying straight up to God, whether I say it this way or not, maybe not literally, but I'm saying to God, God, I don't trust your sovereignty. I think I need to make my own plan. Guys, I can't tell you how deep and how much trouble you can get in when you think you can do it your way and make your own plan to get out of trouble. Because you'll go so much deeper than you would have been if you'd have just done it the Lord's way in the beginning. What about what about verses that say we're supposed to be salt and light? What about those? We just we just take those out if we got the mentality of, of staying away? What about being good citizens? What about leading people into with Christ because of our, oh dare I say the word submission? Huh? You know, you notice how often Scripture talks about submission being the thing that saves somebody else? On all levels, by the way. I ain't just talking about submitting to the government. He tells wives. And you, you can imagine when Paul writes the letter, or Peter, I can't remember which one it is, I apologize, but but one of them, when, he, when, he's, when he's responding to a letter, somewhere in the letter, one of them women probably wrote and said, look here, I'm married to this deadbeat jerk. What can I do to get out of it? And Paul or Peter, I can't remember which one again, I apologize, he writes back and he says, you know what you can do? You can submit to him. So that so, yeah, are you crazy? What? So that they can come to love and know the Lord like you do. He writes to parents and he said, or he writes to kids. What about if I got a bad mom and daddy, I get to rebel? No, you can submit to them so that they might come to know the Lord too. What about that government when they tell me to do stuff I don't like? What about when they're taking my tax money and doing things I don't think is right? You can submit to them so that they might come to understanding as well. These are verses I hate, guys. But you know what? They're the Bible. You can hate them all day long. That's what the Lord says. Huh? Look at at 15 through 17. Man, could you imagine as bad as things have already gotten? Could you imagine how bad it would be if all Christians just pulled out? If we had that mentality? I'm just picturing that, right? Like, things are already so bad right now. What if every believer is like, you know what, guys? Let's just pack up, start our own communities, fence it off so nobody gets in, and let's see how it goes. Imagine how bad the world would be without the effect of devoted followers of Christ preserving this nation. 15 through 17, Solomon's writing. He says, man, you ought to be living for the moment. Live for the moment, man. I command you to enjoy. Take the, take the best of a bad situation and live the best way you can. Then he says in 17, here's what's cool, man. Solomon's getting a little, he's getting more wiser. Then I saw the work of God. Oh, man, he's mentioning God. But a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Holy cow, now he's talking about there's something else going on on the other side of the sun. Then Solomon's getting a little bit of spiritual wisdom now, right? Solomon, Solomon, he's kind of undermining his once-so-certain promise of, of, of lack of eternal perspective. He's now recognizing that there's a work of God. There's something beyond this earth. There, there's something else that defines what it actually is. He's having a spiritual turnaround. He's taking spiritual motion sickness and about to shove it away. Of course, right before that, he also said, I didn't mean to skip over He says, people go to sleep and they still don't understand what's going on. So he never shies away from the fact that you ain't going to get it all. But his conclusion is this, verse 17, he will not be able to find it. It concludes this. How about you just be content not to know everything? Huh? I wrote in my I wrote G thanks. <laughs> well, thanks. I thought for sure we we're gonna get some. It ain't hard work, it ain't seeking, it ain't it ain't wisdom. It's none of this stuff that's gonna reveal the the mystery. You're gonna be baffled. So ask yourself this as we wrap up. How do you live according to wisdom when you don't know what to do? What do you do with your life when your life is out of control? What What do you do when, when you see threats? What do you do when you see opportunities? What do you do when you see the gifts of God? What do you What do you do when you see the opportunity for joy? What do you do when you see the opportunity for joy? Wisdom teaches us to see all these things, all these things. You see them all, but you know the limitations of all of them and the things you can't see. It's, it's knowing what God is doing. Wisdom leads us through, like, minefields. Y'all ever played Minecraft? I totally, re- I think that's the name of it. Not Minecraft. Shut up, son. Right? <laughs> mine sweep Is that name? What's the one you played on your phone? That's where I got it from. Minesweeper. So Minesweeper is this game with a bunch of boxes. It's just got, like, boxes everywhere. And you randomly have to click a box. Kind of like life, right? You eventually got to just randomly take a step. And when you, when you click that box, it, it pops up either a bomb, you took the wrong step, or it pops up with a number. And that number tells you how many safe squares or how many mines or something. Or Obviously, I've never played it. How many, how many things are all around you, right? I picture life like that, and I picture Solomon as he's writing this thing. He, he's playing minesweeper, and he's saying the, the wisdom, guys, the, the, the wisdom that we get, it gives us the ability to, to know where the mines are. But here's the cool part. As he says, enjoy life, right? It also tells us, well, we know then right here we can stop and we can have a picnic. Because some areas, you click on a box and it'll it'll open up a bunch of boxes and you're like, oh, cool. A, a lot of safe area. Well, the, while you're in that safe area, you stop and have a picnic. Stop and enjoy it, right? Because once you finish the picnic and you make it to another box, there might be a bomb near there. See both. Here's what he's saying. Wisdom is what? Wisdom is seeing both. Opportunities and threats. If we're not wise enough to see both, we're missing it, right? Two kinds of knowledge, knowledge of what we can see and knowledge of what we can't see. Knowledge of trusting in God on the things that we can't see and knowledge of following God even when it doesn't make sense. I wrote it this way. I hope this makes sense to you. He sees more problems with greater clarity. It seems weird, doesn't it? Solomon's writing this thing, and he's, he's got this journal going, and, and for eight chapters now, he's writing all these problems that he sees. Problem, problem 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 some of you guys do that you've had some bad weeks in life so you write out all the problems oh this sucks this sucks I don't like that this stinks but Solomon then gets to a point where he looks at all the all the problems and he's, he's stepping back and he says but I see it with clarity now I see more problems but I see it with clarity why because of because of wisdom because of minecraft sweeper because I've got warnings on, on where bombs are and I've got warnings on, on where a safe place is, right? This preacher ain't living in no Disney Fantasyland thing. He's actually tried this stuff. He's, he, he's experimenting with this stuff. Things are moving that you can't see. You can't put your, your finger on it. You don't have control over it. The way of wisdom it, is not to teach about things you can't control, but to accept things you can't control. To understand it through God's eyes. It's a hard thing to understand you ain't in control, right? But it's a great thing to know that a good, good father is, that he's in control. Makes you want to ask, like, will, will you trust him? Will you trust him then? Because, see, Solomon can have all the pre-revelation he wants to have leading up until this point. And we can feel all good about, oh, man, Solomon at least is, is grabbing this little bit and that little bit, and he's, he, he's almost there. But if Solomon's not willing to trust his heart to the Lord if he's not, he's not literally willing to give him everything and let him be in control of everything. He's still going to miss out on a bunch. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. (laughs) Lord, I guess I got to thank you for chapters. We don't like situations. We don't like circumstances, topics that we don't like because God, I pray that while we don't like it, through your honesty of your word, Lord God, I pray that you get our hearts right so that we understand we don't have to like it to follow it. We don't have to understand it to pursue it. God, give us us the wisdom that Solomon was seeking, Lord. Give us the wisdom to know how to handle our lives when we don't know what to do. God, give us us perspective from you. Give us a, a, a special trust and strength in your sovereignty, Lord. God, thank you for always being in control even when we don't know it. Thank you for giving us the faith and the ability, Lord God. God, we we pray for more discernment so that we can understand every situation. But God, help us to follow you despite, as Solomon says, a lack of ever getting it. In your name we pray.